Ameda Ana Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Saron Yidbarek went from pre-med to learning to code to founding Code Newbie, the most supportive community of programmers and people learning to code. We talked about the things she did while learning to code, like reading other people's code and starting a small code reading club. We also talked about methods of learning, code quality, and building a successful tech community. To learn more about the topics of the show, sign up for the monthly newsletter by going to thewomenintechshow.com. Thank you for listening. Saron, founder of Code Newbie, is joining us today. Saron, welcome to the Women in Tech Show. Thanks for having me. You went from pre-med to journalist at NPR, and then eventually you learned to code on your own and later joined a boot camp. After you did this boot camp, you started a code club, sort of analogous to a book reading club, but this was a code reading club. Why did you start this? Uh, I started it because I, at that point, had just graduated from my boot camp. I really wanted to figure out ways to be a better developer, a faster developer. I wanted to just kind of speed up the process so that I didn't have to be a beginner for too long, and I wanted to move up in my knowledge and my skill set. And so I asked a lot of developers, and I said, hey, how do I do that? How do I go from beginner to expert as fast as possible? And the most common answer I got was, you should read code. You should actually open up gems, and I'm a Ruby developer, so I speak mostly in gems. Uh, you should open up libraries and other people's projects and read people's code and try your best to understand it. And that's a really good way to just be exposed to new ideas and different ways of writing and, you know, new methods and such. And so that's what we did. A few friends and I together for, I can't remember how long we did it. I think it was less than a year, but every Sunday for an hour we got together, we picked a code base and we read it together. What were some of the things that you learned by reading versus by writing on your own? Sure. So it's kind of like the opposite, right? Because when you're writing code, oftentimes you're using what you already know. If you get stuck in a problem that you're not sure how to solve, at that point, then you go to the internet and do some research. Maybe you get some new ideas, but you're kind of trying to use the existing tools that you already have to your uh, to the best of your ability. But reading code is kind of the opposite. It's putting all of your ideas aside and focusing on someone else's ideas. So the benefits were seeing methods I'd never seen before, I'd never heard of before, structuring code in ways that I would not have thought to structure code. It was looking at different file structures. It was looking at different patterns. You know, it was literally getting outside of my world and getting to see how other people write code and think of code and how they organize it. And this is actually very important because once you pass that beginner step and if you join the industry in a company, part of your job involves code reviewing your peers' code. Mm -hmm, exactly. So it's really a good thing to do even as a beginner. And big companies have open sourced their code. For example, TypeScript from Microsoft, Angular from Google, React from Facebook. Were you looking at code from big corporations? Not really. So we eventually came up with a few rules on how to make the most out of that one-hour reading session. So one of the things that we said was we 
don't look at big code bases. They're just too big. <laughs> they were too complicated. It was too much to really dig into. We found that the example I can think of is Sinatra, which is a Ruby framework, a much, 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 much simpler version of, uh, of Rails. So it's a web framework for using Ruby. And when we tried to look at it, we thought, oh, this is going to be great. We've used Sinatra before. We have no idea how it works. Let's actually try and figure it out. So we started with the get method and we thought, great, we're going to figure this out. It's going to be great. And we found ourselves jumping from one file to another, from one method to another, and eventually we couldn't even remember where we first started. It was just too complicated and too much. And so we made a rule that said that we would only look at code bases that were 100 lines of code. And that's kind of hard because there's not too many code bases that are that small and also, you know, good enough, quote unquote, that you can learn from. But yeah, we definitely went for smaller projects. Were you also giving feedback to these code bases? Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. And that was the thing, too. Like, there's a distinction that we made between we are looking at this code in order to be contributors and to, you know, to help the project and make it better versus we're reading this code purely for our academic benefit, so to speak. So there definitely were opportunities where we saw a couple things and we thought maybe this could be better, but that just wasn't the goal. And once you finished the boot camp, you had felt you conquered some technical skills, but later you discovered there were a lot of things you hadn't learned or that you forgot you learned. And you also notice how fast technology changes. Once you realized this, did you immediately start exploring new technologies? Nope. I am a proud Ruby developer, and that is basically the only language I know. Mm -hmm. No, not really. Like I, I felt very torn between does the fact that the landscape is always changing, does that mean that I need to constantly look to the next thing and I need to always be learning new things? And what happens if I don't feel very confident in the thing that I'm currently learning? And I've seen this a lot too with the CodeNubi community. A, a big frustration is, you know, how do I know when I'm quote-unquote done with a language? How do I know when it's time to move on to something else? So what ends up happening is a lot of people feel a lot of pressure to keep up with the changes. And so they end up doing, they end up just bouncing around. They end up jumping from one point to the other and one language to another and end up not being very good at anything. They just have some familiarity with a bunch of different stuff. And so I don't learn well that way. I don't learn well by jumping around a lot and trying a bunch of different things. I prefer diving deep and really getting, you know, just really fundamentally understanding something. So no, I haven't really done that. I've mostly focused on Ruby and tried to be a solid Ruby developer. And through Code Newbie, you've interacted with people that are learning to code after working on different fields. What are other methods of learning new technologies that you have seen them doing? Mm, when you say methods, what do you mean? For example, we just talked about how you tend to just focus and dive deep on something. Mm -hmm. Is there something you've noticed works better for other people? I think it's mostly, I think the thing that I've seen that has worked across different languages and frameworks and stuff that people are learning is really about focus and having goals. You know, I've noticed in our community, there's kind of two groups of people. There are the people who in the few years that we've been around have really grown and have 
their first developer job, have, you know, at times their second developer job and are really moving forward in their careers. And there are some who are struggling a bit to make the progress they want to make. And I think, I mean, there's a lot of different variables, right? There's socioeconomic status. There's, you know, do you have support from your friends and family and community? There's, do you have access to coding resources? There's a bunch of different factors. But one key factor I've seen is just having goals, having actual goals. I don't think that learning to code is a very helpful goal. It's way too big. It's way too general. I think that saying I'm going to complete this track on Code Academy is a good goal, right? It's a, it's a very solid, measurable goal. And I found that when people give themselves those types of deadlines, structure, that you know, those types of uh, things to strive for, I think they end up making enough progress that they find it encouraging and they want to keep going and they don't always second guess themselves and try and start over again. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really been the main thing is just having a focus and having a goal. Yes, exactly. And that also translates well to the industry where you have to establish your deliverables and what you're going to commit to. So, Mm -hmm. yep, yeah, I really like that. And when you started to learn to code in 2013, like you mentioned, your focus had been on Ruby on Rails. What do you see people learning these days? JavaScript. It's very depressing. Why? Um, <laughs> because I don't know JavaScript very well. Like, I know enough to make things happen and, you know, do things for, like, interaction and stuff. But I don't really understand JavaScript. But, yeah, but it's been really fascinating because when I was trying to figure out what language should I learn, you know, back a couple years ago, it came down to... Python, JavaScript, and Ruby, and then it came down to just Python and Ruby. So I didn't even consider JavaScript. I knew JavaScript is something that everyone has to know at least a little bit of if they're going to be a web developer, but I definitely didn't think it needed to be like my primary language. And it was really Ruby and Python were the two front runners for web development. And it's just been very fascinating to see over the years that, you know, I think people still use Ruby. I think people still use Python, obviously, but it's really interesting to see that there's been a... I would say a consensus around the importance of JavaScript as, you know, one of the most important languages. Again, assuming that you're going into like web apps and mobile development and that kind of thing. So you did try to get a little bit of JavaScript or? Yeah, I mean, I have to, right? If you're going to be a web developer and you want any type of interaction, Mm -hmm. if you want, you know, a really nice calendar, if you want a cool drop down, like you have to know JavaScript. So, (laughs) yeah. But there's also TypeScript, which adds typing to JavaScript, which can make it look friendlier and you can also easy to maintain so it doesn't even have to be pure javascript but there are a lot of options now definitely yep yep for sure and as part of code newbie you also host a very successful podcast called the code newbie podcast and you've done over 148 interviews about people in their coding journey and these people range from beginners or advanced beginners to experts Have there been any recurrent themes throughout the shows? Yeah, definitely. I think that a couple of them, I think a lot of folks, maybe even everyone, had a lot of fear going in. And that to me has been the most fascinating thing. You know, when I first learned to code, I was definitely very terrified. I didn't think I could do it. I thought it was going to be too hard for me. I didn't think I was the kind of person who would be good at coding. And what I found is that everyone else feels exactly the same way. (laughs) And, you know, what I would think would be a technical challenge is actually much more of an emotional challenge. It's much more about, you know, how do you deal with failure, especially because, you know, when you code, it's it's basically 90% failure and then 10% of it is enjoying 
you know, the code when it works, the feature when it works. And then as soon as you celebrate, you have to go back to failure. So it's just how do you deal with that lifestyle? You know, how do you deal with always being wrong of, you know, all that? And so it's been really fascinating to see that whether you started off as a nurse, a teacher, a theater director, uh, you know, any type of completely seemingly unrelated field, there's a huge amount of anxiety that comes with transitioning. I think transitioning into any field, but specifically transitioning into a career in technology. And so just seeing that you're not alone, like everyone is scared and everyone feels very self-conscious and they're like they can't do it. But seeing that for all of our guests, even though they had that fear, they didn't let that fear stop them from taking that first step. And I think that's a really important thing because even for me, you know, when I think about my life goals and career goals, if I focus too much on the end goal, that it becomes a scary, terrifying, unachievable thing. But if I can say, you know, I'm not worried about Code Newbie's podcast being, you know, the next Gimlet podcast. Like, that's not my goal right now. What I'm going to focus on is just publishing a really good episode this week. Yeah. All of a sudden, that becomes a lot doable and a lot, you know, a lot easier to see. And then eventually, if every single week you keep publishing the best episode you possibly can and you slowly learn, maybe in a couple of years it will be as great as a Gimlet or an NPR show, you know? And so for our guests, it's been understanding that it's scary and being okay with it but not letting that fear stop them from just taking the first step, the first thing that they can do right now and just keep taking the next first step and then eventually getting to where they want to be. Yes, definitely. And from the experts that you've interviewed for your podcast, what are some of the key things that you have learned? Hmm, a lot. Um, I've learned technical things. For example, we've had shows on Bitcoin. We've had a couple shows on security, on accessibility. So I've just learned a lot of just plain old technical information from our guests. Our guests have taught me personally a lot of stuff. I've also, I don't want to say I've learned this because I already knew it, but it was validated, yeah. is that anybody can be a developer, like genuinely, genuinely anybody can be a developer. And that's one thing that I try to look out for when I pick the guests as well. Is I try to have a nice range of people from different backgrounds, different age groups, parts of the world, different, you know, past industries. So we've had a lot of developers who have been coding since they were two, but we've also had a lot of developers who've been coding since they were 40. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like we've had people who really have done a lot of very different things and learned to code in very different ways. We've had some CS degrees, some bootcamp grads, some entirely self-taught online you know, success stories. We've had people from all walks of life. And so I think besides the technical stuff, every time I talk to a guest, it's a reminder that you really can do this if you want to. And if you put the work and the time in, it is very much doable. And it's also extremely valuable to have people, even if they worked in different fields like you studied psychology for example you bring a whole new skill set to the workforce and then other peers can learn from your communication skills and things like that I think absolutely and as part of doing this podcast one thing that I noticed that I would do is whenever I would provide a suggestion or an idea to the guest when we're talking about some technical topic I would lower my voice when I did this <laughs> uh -huh. so then I thought Well, this is what I sound like at work, probably. When I give a new idea, I lower my voice. What has helped you to improve your communication skills by running this podcast or your work on NPR? Yeah, oh, that's a good question. I think one of the... Okay, I think there's two. I think one is 
to give people space. One thing that I've learned as an interviewer on my own podcast is silence is perfectly okay. It's absolutely fine. And so when I ask a guest a question and they give an answer, I try not to, unless they're kind of like talking for way too long, (laughs) I try not to jump in with the next question. I try to take a beat and just give them a little bit of room. And what that does is it helps them really sit in what they just said and really sit in their thoughts and it helps them connect their idea, their the thing they already said, with something new. And I think that's a really important strategy just in regular communication on the job as a developer is a lot of times I think when we think we're listening, we're really just waiting to jump in and we're waiting for our turn to speak. And instead, listen, but also just wait. Just wait a moment. Give the person, give your teammate, give your boss, give your subordinate, give them just space. Give them some time to just sit and think and an opportunity to have more ideas and make new connections. I think that's been a really, really powerful lesson for me. And I think the other big thing is as a communicator, I think I'm a very accommodating person. Like I I really empathize with people especially guests on the podcast because I know most of my guests are like terrified to be on the show so I try to be like very nice and very accommodating but I think that at times that has led to me looking like a pushover which I'm absolutely not and so for me personally it's been about understanding that even if my intention is to be kind and welcoming sometimes that could be seen as being you know weak and letting people run over me and so finding ways to show that I'm assertive and that I'm like, don't mess with me, but I'm also really nice, but don't mess with me. You know, like trying to like find the balance between those two has been something I've had to figure out, whether that's via emails, in person, you know, whatever the format is, knowing that you can be nice and firm and being aware that even when you're trying to be nice, that may not be the way people see it. And just being aware of that. Or being aware of their body language reactions, because I wouldn't get a lot sometimes confused looks so then I take a step back and I'm like okay I'm not explaining myself clearly enough or things like that and Code Newbie started as a Twitter chat Mm -hmm. what is a Twitter chat? Good question Uh, so a Twitter chat I guess it's like a format it's a way to use Twitter in a structured way to have a lot of people join in and have a conversation at the same time so for us it means that every Wednesday at 9 p.m eastern time for one hour we use the hashtag code newbie and we tweet out questions around a theme so the theme might be something like you know, what does mental health look like when you're a developer? It could be something more technical, like, you know, what are your favorite JavaScript libraries that you've learned about? Um, It could be something more personal, like what are your coding goals for this week? And, you know, what progress have you made towards them? So we pick a theme and we tweet out questions using the hashtag from our CodeNubi account and people jump in and they answer and we spend the hour just talking. And it's been an amazing, amazing way to find new ideas, find new resources, to meet new people. Um, We've had people find out about jobs, get jobs through the Twitter chat. We've had people meet people in their area. They just didn't know there were other developers in their area through the Twitter chat. So it's been a really awesome way to have a somewhat structured conversation on Twitter. Is that the advantage of doing it via Twitter versus a Slack group? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that Twitter is great because anybody can join. It doesn't require an invite. If you already have a Twitter account, you have a, if you have a handle, then anybody can jump in. And so a huge benefit of it is 
we want to invite everybody to the party. We want to make sure it's as inclusive as it can possibly be. And so making it a public Twitter chat that anyone can jump in on really helps us do that. And Code Nuvi has grown from this Twitter chat to becoming the most supportive community of programmers and people learning to code. And like you mentioned just now, it's quite successful at being an inclusive tech community. And yet we keep seeing that some of the big tech companies or even startups, they're not even there yet. What are effective strategies of building and maintaining an inclusive community? Yeah. So this one is, it's tough because I can tell you what I think works for me, but I don't know 100%, you know, what are the most important variables. I think that one of the most important things is that I genuinely like people who are different. Like, I think that's underneath any strategy, beneath any, you know, tactical approach, behind any tips and tools. I think that's really fundamentally what it comes down to. I'm genuinely fascinated by people who don't fit the stereotype. When I meet people who come from non-traditional backgrounds, who used to be ballet dancers and now are developers, who, you know, worked three jobs and raised two kids and still became a developer, I'm personally fascinated and I'm impressed and I want to learn more about them. And so if you navigate the world with that attitude, over the years, you end up knowing a lot of really awesome people who don't fit the stereotype. And so for me, you know, I've been in tech for six years, I think. And that whole time, I've been walking around thinking, oh, these people are so cool because they're different. Like, how do they do that? What were their challenges? What's their perspective? It must be so different from mine. And I've been in a way, kind of like collecting a team of people who are just really, really interesting. And so by the time I have a conference or a podcast or a Twitter chat, I'm reaching out to that network, that team that I've been cultivating for years. And I'm saying, hey, you should come join me and share your story. You should come speak. You should come chat with us. And at that point, it becomes a lot, lot easier to end up with a room full of people who come from all different backgrounds. So I think, you know, yes, you can implement like a quota system. Yes, you can, you know, have your list of, you know, diverse communities that you target and do outreach mm -hmm. uh, to. And I think those things are, can, are very valuable and very important. But I think before you can even do those things, I think it's important to just genuinely care. Yes. Like genuinely care <laughs> about people who are different. Yes, definitely. And you as the founder of Code Newbie, you definitely transmit this fascination for people of different backgrounds. And then you attract those people and then mm -hmm. those people attract their friends. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's this joke. So I used to live in New York City and or like the New York City area. And, um, and there's this joke amongst the black uh, female developers where we're like, yeah, we all know each other. There's like, you know, like all the black women, New York City tech people, we all know each other. So if I hear about a really cool opportunity, I'm going to tell all of them, you know, like networks, it, it, you know, for better or worse, look very like people in networks look like your network will oftentimes look like you. Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, if you don't diversify it, if your personal network is not inclusive, then it makes it a whole lot harder. And if you start off with a network that is very inclusive and most likely the people in them, in that network, will have their own teams that look like them, you end up reaching a level of um, inclusion that hopefully you'll be very happy with. 
In what other ways do you see Code Newbie growing? Sure. I would love to do more podcasts. That's been my main thing. I am working right now with a woman on doing a more technical computer science podcast, which I'm super, super excited about. Um, I want to do one specifically on careers and getting a job. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to just use more creative tools and use storytelling tools, whether that's a, a conference talk, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a blog post, to encourage people in different areas of their lives. You know, I think that people in our community, there's a couple key problems that keep coming up. One is just the emotional support, which I think the podcast does a really good job and the Twitter chat do a really good job of. But there's also understanding the technical information. And then there's actually getting a job. Like those are probably the three categories. And so right now, I think we've been primarily focused in the emotional part. And I would like to do more work in the technical part and the getting a job part. Well, Saran, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. It was great chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun.